The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Friday, July 12th, 2019, and you are tuned into the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hamian Media. And of course, in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking some New Japan, AEW, Evolve, and WWE Goes Extreme. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you, this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me! It's that art of the beat of the Rick Vickery back again, hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Jargo, thankfully we are full of hot air because this balloon is about to go around the professional wrestling world in 41 matches. 41 matches this weekend between the time that we speak now and the time that we talk to you this Monday inside the locker room. Of course, this past Monday, you were not inside the locker room. You were down ill. Luckily, we had MSG and Big Ray Hernandez doing the Slammiversary review. Just wanted to get your thoughts real quick. Did you have a chance to check out Slammiversary? What did you think of the show? I, I did. Uh, actually, I was actually feeling okay. I just am damned if I'm going to share any airwaves. But there's two SOPs for the impact. <laughs> no, but hey, in all seriously, thank, thankfully, those guys stepped in. Uh, you know, we had that plan going forward. You know, hey, those guys, they're in the know there. They, they follow impact. They're on the pulse each and every week. Love their insight, their takes there. I, I watched the show live. I, I watched it as it happened. I thought there were uh, some very interesting moments. I thought, it, 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 as I said, it, you know, I had some highs. It had its lows. But overall, going in with the hype, and maybe this was just about it, you know, because I'm not there each and every week when it comes to Impact Wrestling. You know, I, I follow the Impact Attack. It's usually where I get my stuff. I, I go watch some clips. I, I'm reading reports and all that. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't really lend to the actual live experience. Not saying live, you know, being there, but just watching it for yourself. Maybe I, maybe I was going a little over too hyped uh, because I felt drastically overwhelmed for what I was hearing. You know, was promising to be one of the events of the year. I thought it was one of the best shows that Impact Wrestling, TNA Wrestling, whatever you want to call it, has put on in a very, very, very long time. And I can't help but think that part of that is because they were in Dallas, Texas. They were piggybacking off of the G1. And we have heard all this talk about Mr. Mark Cuban and Access TV and Impact Wrestling making a move to Access TV, trying to put their best foot forward in front of the TV executives. I think that was a wise move. Uh, we did have the NJPW G1 kickoff in Dallas, Texas, also last weekend. Rick, what did you think of that show? And what did you think of the production? And mostly, what did you think of the, all the damn empty seats? 
I, you know, that was a little disheartening again to, to see up there. Again, if I can go back to Impact real quick, because I did want to touch. Uh, you know what? I'm really starting, you know, each and every time, you know, if it's through just clips or when I'm sitting down to watch one of their events, I really love how they shoot some things. I love their hovering cam. You know, I, I love the up under angles there. I love the intimacy of an arena. They're getting away from where I feel they're trying to just hide things. And now they're really showing off, you know, their strengths. That is one of the things I want to give to these guys. And again, you know, I think you would going into this weekend for impact wrestling. And as we constantly talk about, if it's here on the hitting the marks pro wrestling podcast, if it's with the Hami media group on Mondays in the locker room, you know, it's about the second tier dance card and who's going to make statements. Uh, I think the biggest statement coming out of this thing for impact wrestling is that they actually have got that deal. Uh, they are in with Cubans camp, you know, now they're loading up on wrestling over there. I love the production here. I just, I don't know, maybe maybe with all that going on and looking for someone to make a move for impact to move forward, uh, that's where I felt a little underwhelmed. But again, going back to you look at all things that are on paper and things that were very promising as they were hyping impact wrestling over on impact attack. We were doing the same thing Mondays in the locker room. We're doing the same things here on, you know, hitting the marks.com. And I guess really look, looking back, maybe we were the foolish ones. Well, not necessarily, man. I mean, one thing that I will give impact wrestling is they know their audience and they're running appropriate sized arenas so that they can sell them out. New Japan running that American airline center. We knew there was no way they were going to sell out 20,000 people. They still had 5,000 people at this thing. The problem was the arena holds 20,000 freaking people. Well, and, and you go into that too. I mean, we're looking at deals that are already in place for new Japan. I don't think they. I don't think they really expected to do the twenty thousand. I don't think that they believe they're anywhere near all elite. But they, but they probably had a better deal in place with their ties with Cuban. Well, yeah, exactly. That's what this is all about. Mark Cuban owns the American Airlines Arena where the Mavericks play. He also owns Access TV where New Japan airs every Saturday night. Like this was absolutely. That's why they ran Dallas. That's why they ran this arena. And I get here, but you're going into this. I don't think they did a well enough job of calling up Ben Hameen. You know, he just doesn't do tarps. Right? He does partitions as well. Yeah, you know, I mean, come section, on. You can section things off and disguise this, of this arena. You could have given us, you know, just, you know, half court over with the bottom bowl. We would never known a difference if you shot this thing right. And this goes back to, you know, just, you know, production value. Yeah. Uh, just turn off the lights. For the love of God, just light the crowd the right way. And so you're not drawing attention to it. I mean, and then the camera angles, every time they would shoot towards the corners, all you were seeing was empty seats. And every every one of those side shots that they're used to where they do those cam those camera shots, as you were saying, which look tremendous in a packed house. Yep. But you're just exposing the emptiness, the void behind you here. And I think, you know, it's a detriment to to new japan wrestling especially running arenas like that where you're not filling you're not partitioning this thing properly is it the way they try to shoot it from that true sports aspect instead of a stage show it's crazy how different the production is just moving the hard cam instead of shooting from the side of the ring shooting towards the entrance it's just one of those things that new japan does it makes the product feel differently but it absolutely changes the perspective of what's going on inside now, the ring now I didn't mind so much going with the, with the uh, the traditional New Japan shot where you got your heart towards the entrance. I actually am a huge fan of that. You know, I've been tinkering around with different camera spots and all that, and, and I think it really helps. You know, it, it helps that product on that kind of level. It gives you that backdrop, right? And it and you're not expecting a huge audience to be there because the stage is there. The problem was when they'd go to those corners and hit just yep. you know the 
let me hit you just off center. Which in a WWE context would have been a hard cam shot. So you would have been shooting right at the people. Right. And again, when they go to those corners, a lot of that stuff, they want to build up those talents to be a little larger in life. So you're shooting from under that bottom rope, which mm-hmm. means you're going to elevate that camera angle, which is going to expose the top of that arena. Yep. Get a hold of Mr. Hameen. I did find uh, one thing incredibly interesting. New Japan is going to be running an East Coast tour that was announced during the G1 in Dallas. Lowell, Massachusetts, the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City, the ECW Arena in Philly. And Rick, I can't help but immediately realize these are all Ring of Honor venues. These are all venues that Ring of Honor runs on a very, very regular basis. But now New Japan is just going to run these venues solo as New Japan shows. Assuming we can get talent into the country and we don't have visa issues like we did when we ran that southern loop with uh, North Carolina and over into Nashville. I I expect here, you know, just outside of Ring of Honor, uh, this is... You know, this is still in their working agreement. I still suspect we're going to see a ton of Ring of Honor town on this thing. But now it's going to be, let's see how we can stand alone without having this partnership that we typically rely on. Uh, I, I agree with some of these venues that they're running. How many shows are they, do- are they doing? Just three of them. And it's going to be Lowell, Massachusetts, which is just outside of Boston, the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City, and the 2300 Arena in Philly. All these venues are about 2,000 to 2,500. They'll sell these things out no problem. It's a whole lot different than running a 20,000-seat American Airlines Center. And, you know, this goes back to in itself, you know, we're talking about even Ring of Honor. You, you know, you mentioned these are traditional Ring of Honor venues. Uh, you know, outside of some of these, you know, Ring of Honor itself has trouble. Uh, if I was them, you know, I'd really be focusing on, you know, hot wrestling beds here where we've seen other markets kind of really, really grabbing in, uh, sinking their teeth into and outside it's to disagree anywhere that WWE, any of their brands, especially NXT is having success to try to go in there and see if you can draw, you know, New Japan, New York City, you're going to draw. Yep. Uh, Philadelphia, you're going to draw. I would have loved to have seen them try to run Pittsburgh and Cleveland, which are just amazing hotbeds that when NXT moves into those areas, it is insane. I mean, they could do multiple days of shows and sell those things out, you know, within that couple thousand range. Would you run Cleveland over Cincinnati? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, man. I'm just asking questions. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, you've got – in. I guess what you know with the metropolis areas there, Northern Ohio is, is so much more invested in hungry for professional wrestling than down in the Southern Ohio base. Uh, mainly when you get a little bit of north of of Columbus, and I've seen the different shows from the different sizes, from Ring of Honor to NXT. I've seen them all through Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland. You know, right there, Cleveland is still that hotbed, and it's still ranked higher, even within WWE standards. It, it's it's revered more than your Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a B town. You know, they usually they usually get your your smackdowns where Raw is going to be up there in that area. Cincinnati hasn't had an NXT. Columbus and, and Cleveland get those. Columbus gets theirs mainly because of the Arnold Classic. Yeah, but they'll go run Cleveland on its own. And there are more wrestling promotions in that area in Northern Ohio from you know Toledo on over that you're going to be able to pull fans in towards. Well, and if you're going to run Cleveland, you might as well run another show and do Chicago. Um, one of the well, things then you're talking to, I mean, you're, you were talking about just relevance. You could get within, within, you know, with just a short day's drive, you can get from Pittsburgh, which is also a tremendous hotbed. Uh, you know, ring of honor does their television tapings there all the time. And they pull tremendously. You're talking a couple hours, you know, instead of going from Cleveland 
to Chicago where, you know, you're loading up those trucks, traffic and all that, you might be looking at, you know, six, six and a half hours. You're just talking a couple hours drive. Well, a couple of days ago, I got to thinking about something. I wonder if the G1 Climax is actually going to happen in the United States next year. And that sounds absolutely absurd until you realize the Summer Olympics are happening in Japan next year in the heart of G1 season. So it wouldn't surprise me if this was some kind of a test. Maybe we get a lot more international flavor to the G1 next year with the Olympics running all of the big venues throughout July and August. Like that's going to really complicate the G1 next year. You know, to me that, I mean, that is a magnificent undertaking, you know, and very ballsy on their behalf. You know, if, if, are you going to alienate? Uh, you know, an audience like that has been so true to you. It's the same kind of conversation. We just got done recording hashtag HTM sports and, and we heard this, you know, the rumors and the rumblings that they want to move a Super Bowl to the UK. But what would it do to your American audience? Is it going to be a complete turnoff? Will they turn their back on you? Will, will they just stay you know, loyal for that one year? You have to imagine, I mean, this would upset so many of the traditionalists, uh, just not even those that live in Japan. I mean, individuals like yourself you know, well, that know the rich history of this thing. Now, could you see where it's like the early parts of this tour? I mean, you can't have you – know, you can see maybe the outskirts of this tour, the first couple shows of this, but you can't take away the main course from, from your home base. Well, what if they end up running two, three shows in the United States? Then you run a couple of shows in the UK. You run a show in Melbourne and Sydney. Like we're seeing New Japan do a lot of international expansion here. What if the G1 becomes a truly global tournament? You end up, hey, you got the, you got it right there. The global one climax. I mean, it could yeah, be a very – that Olympics right is going to throw some uh, complications into the G1 next year without any doubt. And you're wondering, you know, about if you're able to sell those venues. Or, hey, are those venues available? Are they going to be, you know, kind of hijacked from you yeah. for these different Olympic events? That is something, you know, as, as a company, management-wise, marketing, promotions, it's going to take some serious thought because there, there's a lot of risk there. I mean, there could be great reward, but there could be tremendous backlash as well. Uh, another thing that I would consider is maybe moving the G1. Yeah, that, you hate to say it, but that might have to be a real possibility next year. Well, I mean, you think about something as hot as the, the two hottest times of the year. When is it for New Japan? Well, it's Wrestle Kingdom and G1. And the, and the G1. What if you almost came out of Wrestle Kingdom, which we know is going to be a two-day event, you give it a week or so, and then you go right into the G1 and you rival WrestleMania season, knowing that your home base is going to be challenged by the Olympics, which outside of just just you know about eyes in your own country and attention in your own country, I mean, the entire world's going to be looking at somewhere else. You know, the, the Olympics are going to come in and just and crush anybody in rate. Yeah, you want to talk about ridiculous ratings. My that's God. A, that's a proven commodity. So what if you took a year and said, you know what? Let's go overboard on our marketing, do something we've never done. We're going to go right out of Wrestle Kingdom and we're going to kick off our greatest run of the year. We're going to come we're going to come right into WrestleMania season and put the G1 out there. And we're going to over advertise this thing to the freaking world. And we're going to show WWE you know, what a great run is about. Basically flip the New Japan Cup and the G1. I mean, that, that's a that's a possibility as well. Uh, before we jump into all these obscene amount of previews that we have for the upcoming weekend, one more thing that I forgot to even put on the run that I guess we got to talk about Huckleberry, where Jargo was right 
Jacob Fatu, the new MLW world champion, puts down Filthy Tom Lawler. Rick, this match is something else for for people that haven't had a chance to check out Jacob Fatu. Like, it's not very often that you get to see a championship match, and I feel like it's a real like feature match for the challenger. That was absolutely the case in this match. Filthy Tom Lawler put Jacob Fatu over and put him over strong. Well, again, this goes back to we're talking about that second tier dance card. These promotions need to make moves. You've got to show where your way is. I mean, right now in professional wrestling, it's almost as important as you know what the NBA is doing with, with this free agency and setting up your rosters. Let you know who's going to be the faces of, of your company, your franchise. Right here with Fox 2, MLW making a, a tremendous statement. What we're going to see with Contra going forward, we've talked about this before. Hell, they've, they've got it brewing. They've got it right there in front of them. And Contra versus the Heart Foundation, they've got something special that can actually be cool in professional wrestling. Now it's a matter of you can get it out there to the masses. And who's going to be the baby faces? Like, I guess you got to go with the Heart Foundation there, right? And I just feel dirty cheering Teddy Hart in any context whatsoever. I just I feel dirty cheering Teddy. I think you you've got you've gotten to a point as Cody's been putting out there, and I know it defies so much of what we know in professional wrestling is where you draw that hard line in the sand. All right, these are your babies, these are your heels. I think this is one of those cases where hey, you just let them be themselves. Let people choose who they want. Yeah, could be a lot of fun. I could get behind that feud. So let's go ahead. Let's talk about the G1 climax. Uh, one of the things that I really really dislike about this year's tournament is is the Dallas to the second show layover we've got a whole week in between shows here and it feels like it's taken forever rick i am ready like the g1 from last weekend got me all fired up and now i'm just ready to go and it's sitting here waiting and waiting and waiting saturday things are going to kick off full bore and then we have a show sunday and monday as well saturday we're gonna see juice robinson take on shingo takagi john moxley takes on presumably tai chi i am still waiting for minoru suzuki to throw tai chi out of this tournament rick because otherwise like monday we're gonna have tetsuya naito versus tai chi as the main event that can't happen right suzuki has to replace tai chi well, and at that point, when, when would you make that move? I mean, this has got to be something you got to get out there a, couple, a little bit ahead of time to advertise, or at least a huge teaser, correct? I mean, I can't just be relying uh, on the, the ears that are listening to Michael Jarger, who's been pitching this thing for six-plus weeks here. I, I know you have a tremendous reach, my friend, but they cannot be simply relying on this. they got to get this out here, especially with Moxley, right? Well, here's how things have went down so far, right? So John Moxley could not appear for New Japan Pro Wrestling in Dallas, Texas. So what happened was Tai Chi also got left off of the card. So Tai Chi has not competed even in a preliminary undercard match for the G1 Climax at this point. So as far as I know, like they have up until Tai Chi gets in the ring and that bell rings for Minoru Suzuki to just murder Tai Chi and say, no, you're not doing this. I am taking your spot inside of the G1 Climax. Because as it is right now, the only time we're going to see Murder Grandpa is on undercard tag matches. And that's just not enough for me come G1 season. No, absolutely. I, I'm with you. I would, right when you pitched it, I thought this was a tremendous way to go. And in the, the thought of this, though, opening up 
you know, Moxley's first one for this block here to have this match happen. I mean, this would be absolutely insane, especially with the lineup of professional wrestling that we've got set for us this weekend. That's what I'm saying. You know, it would be a travesty if, if New Japan doesn't realize, you know, obviously you want a great surprise like that. But with, with so much a la carte out there, you want to tease people. You want to entice them right now, especially this Western audience if you're trying to pull them in. And what kind of, I wouldn't say failing, but disappointment spectral that you presented in, in Dallas. Would that be the most anticipated matchup of the weekend? I mean, if you were advertising John Moxley versus Minoru Suzuki, like to me, that feels like it, it could be a main event anywhere in the world. And with 41 matches over the course of this weekend, like there's a couple of matches on here. Like we've got a Nokata and Saber, and we've got a, um, a Tanahashi and a Kenta. Like there's some good matches over the course of this weekend, but the appeal of Moxley versus Suzuki. What I think too that's there. I mean, you're you're mainly re- you're relying on Moxley and absolute diehards who know who Suzuki is. I mean, you have to have some kind of enticer here to let them know what violence we could actually that could unfold this thing. And I could see you holding it off. If this was the only show in town this weekend, yeah, drop a surprise here. But that's not the case. I mean, we got 41 matches over how many promotions? Four or five promotions going on here. You need something. You have to let people, uh, you know, up at home, getting ready to travel tomorrow. We've got a great event. It's our, our Riverfest in Huron, Ohio, which pretty much shuts down the town. We have over a million visitors swelling in for this thing. And there's eight or nine bars all bidding, you know, outside of the festival itself and what the city's putting on. There's eight or nine bars all bidding and hoping that you're going to spend your quality time at their establishment, you know, eating their food, you know, it, it, enjoying their drinks and, and kind of staying for their entertainment. You know, so everything at Harbor House, we've got our lineup. We are pumping it out left and right. We, we brought in a great local band on on Saturday night. You know, this Tightwad, the great rock band. On Sunday, we've got a Springsteen tribute band people are excited for. But that would be, you know, this would be like someone else saying, all right, uh, Jason Aldean's going to be at one of the other places. You know, they don't know where. They're going to lock in. They're, we've already got them. What are the chances they're going to leave us to go there? Toru Yano is going to take on the leader of LIJ, Tetsuya Naito. That's surely going to be entertaining. Tomohiro Ishii takes on Jeff Cobb. This is uh, one of those matches I've got highlighted that when I look at this weekend, this is one that I'm very, very much looking forward to. Rick, I'm sure you are as well. Uh, I am, you know. Love Ishii, man. Anytime he's going to get in and throw down, especially these two big guys, and to see him get in there with someone as athletic as you know, big, strong, athletic is Cobb. I got to go back on this one, man. Yano picking up a win because Naito just doesn't care. Nope, nope, nope. This is going to be an important tournament for Tetsuya and Naito, and we'll talk about that here in uh, a couple of minutes when we talk about Kota Ibushi. Hiroki Goto is going to take on the Switchblade Jay White. In American terms, Roman Reigns takes on Hunter Hurst Helmsley in your main event of the Saturday show. Rick, this one's really, really difficult for me. I don't know who I hope wins this match. I guess I got to go with Switchblade. Yeah, definitely got to go with Switchblade here. You know, he's got to get he's got to get that win back from WrestleMania. <laughs> it's just 
it's creepy how much these two guys remind me of Roman Reigns and Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Let's throw things over to Sunday. Newfound friend of the show, Lance Archer, is going to tangle with Bad Luck Fale. Now you want to talk about fun. Here we go, baby. You want to talk about a couple of hosses. Huckleberry, we didn't really get a chance to talk about it. What did you think of Lance Archer versus Will Ospreay? Because there's a lot of people calling that the match of Lance Archer's career. Well, I think, you know... Maybe not so much if you, you go back and study some of the things he's done. I mean, this is a tremendous athlete, tremendous talent in, in all accounts. Uh, but when we're talking about importance with the spotlight, the platform, I mean, this is a big statement for him, especially everything that was going on here. Archer looked amazing. This one's going to be fun, man. With Palais, you know, who was promised to show to show motherfuckers he can wrestle inside this tournament. You know, luckily, luckily this thing isn't ha- doesn't have a gimmick on it and it falls count anywhere because I mean, this would be, you know, like Godzilla and King Kong get ready to go. One of these two men is going to move to four points. Will Ospreay is going to take on Sonata, which is surely going to be just another Will Ospreay four, four and a half, maybe five star match. I mean, Ospreay is just killing it. Going going again here with Sonata, though. I think this is going to be a story of Osprey tr- having to figure out what he's doing inside this tournament. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. I, I, I can absolutely go with Sonata going over here. Kazuchika Okada is going to take on Zack Sabre Jr. This is always a fun match. Rick, Sabre is saying that he is going to beat the Rainmaker and he is going to cash in his title shot at Royal Quest on August 31st in London. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm going with Okada over Strong here, and I think that going back to last week, the match that we end up seeing is Sonata versus Zack Sabre Jr. for the Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship at Royal Quest. Well, just to speak to itself, Okada and, and Jr., this is what makes it so fun with the factions in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Because, you know, even outside of, like, the personal histories and all this, I mean, even when you look at, you know, like, any time that a New York team is hooking up with a Boston team, doesn't matter what sport it's in, you, you're interested because of the overall rivalries and the heat and just the hatred that's there. Uh, and, you know, it goes across, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, Kansas City and St. Louis, you know, whatever it might be there. It's just you've got that heat built in between the cities, the factions here. It's going to make it fun. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Probably the scariest match of the weekend and the scariest match of last weekend, both involved Kota Ibushi. Ibushi versus Kenta. Huckleberry, I called it a 20-minute squash match. It was basically Kenta just beating the ever-loving piss out of Kota Ibushi for 20 minutes with a couple of hope spots for Ibushi. But the bigger story is Ibushi rolled that ankle, and it looks freaking gnarly. Show one of the G1 Climax. He's got 18 matches to go here. I thought it was a foregone conclusion when Kenta beat Kota Ibushi that Ibushi was going to win this tournament. We would get a rematch between Ibushi and Kenta, and that was why it all made sense, why that match was laid out the way that it was. I don't know if Ibushi's going to be able to win this tournament now. I don't know how Ibushi's even going to wrestle this tournament. Did you see that ankle? It is freaking gnarly. Absolutely. Uh, It's always one of those faces of fear things. You don't want to even look at the thing. I mean, it it is absolutely. I mean, it it hurts to look at. I think the bigger question here is what kind of, you know, change in style 
I mean, he is over the top. Everything, you know, is it's almost you, you're holding your breath during his matches. You know, is he going to survive these things? Absolutely going to have to change his style. And it's going to be interesting to see how he does that to carry himself through, you know, this essentially the entire tournament. You know, and I think that would suit him well. Anyway, you know, a lot of people don't know Kota Ibushi actually used to be a professional kickboxer. So he can get in there and he can strike with the best of them. We saw a little bit of that in the Kenta match. If, if yeah, we're that, just going to get angry that comes, Ibushi that comes into play though working that ankle you got to support one and kick with the other I mean that's good that's very it's, devastating to somebody that's you know working in you it's know, any better kind of than form, springboards form and phoenix splashes and suicide moonsaults though right uh, you know it's he's gonna have find something to rely on some stalls some character something like that and I hope it, you know I hope it just, I hope it turns out the best one that people respect that he is dealing through this thing and just don't kind of just give up on it. Let's talk about your main event for Sunday. It's going to be the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi takes on Kenta. A very, very angry, aggressive, I have something to prove, chip on my shoulder, Kenta. Rick, this is a dream match through all of Japan. People have been waiting to see this match for a very, very long time, at least five years, while Kenta was uh, stuck in WWE hell. I'm expecting big things from these guys. Uh, absolutely, and, and more so. We're, we're talking about, you know, one of the great things here in this G1 is the absolute the spotlight. How important, actually, this tournament is, is you know, is it even compared to other many, so many others that have been so great you go up and down this field. I mean, this is an opportunity, an absolute proving ground. So much personal, you know, on the line here. Kenta's right there. And to come in here, we're seemingly forgotten in his homeland to make a statement like this. Now that he's with New Japan to take out their ace. To take out Ibushi and take out the ace in your first two matches of the G1? But stamina is absolutely not going to be Kenta's friend in this thing. He was huffing and puffing during that match with Ibushi going 20 minutes. I think that could be part of the storyline for Kenta, where about halfway through this tournament, he's going to run out of gas. Uh, I think so, too. You, you come firing out of the gate because you're so hungry. You want to prove everyone wrong. And then, you know, what I really could see, uh, I mean, this is somebody where you get an embarrassing loss, you know, where you shouldn't be, you know, someone's sitting there with zero points and they come get you. And that's where they, you you know, could, could a, I, I, just, I wouldn't say it's embarrassing, but we're talking about these stories, you know, Osprey trying to make that jump, struggling. And then maybe, you know, halfway through this thing, I don't, you know, the matches better than I do, you know, where they lay out, but maybe he gets Kenta because Kenta just runs out of gas against somebody like him. And that's where they both kind of change their tide in this tournament and their stories kind of switch spots. Yeah. Cause I, I see both of those guys kind of finishing in the same tier inside of uh, the, well, and, and, it's, and it's regular that we see somebody come yep. strong and fall and we see someone stumble out of the gates and then make that run. And I absolutely, hey, I would love to see it as a program going forward out of this thing, trying to, you know, saying that story. This is where things all went downhill for me. And Kenta's just absolutely just obsessed with getting revenge here against Osprey. Let's throw things over to Monday morning. Before How close is Kenta to a junior? Eh, he's He's pretty damn close. Well, I mean, hey, drop the weight and say, hey, you embarrassed me at the G1. Now I'm coming for that title. Oh, yeah, that could absolutely be a storyline. Well, I mean, he was on 205 Live. I mean, well, that's what I, I, yeah, I didn't know how much he had put on here. I'm not sure. He does look to be in a little bit better shape. I still wish he'd tone up, though. Just 
Doesn't look like he cares about it. Let's talk about Monday. It's going to be Shingo taking on that bastard Toru Yano. This is a match I am very much looking forward to because Shingo is all business all the time. He is not going to have time for Yano's bullshit. So I'm looking to see how this match is going to go. Is this going to be Shingo just murdering Toru Yano, or are we going to see a completely different side of Shingo Takagi in this match? I think we're going to see a partial murder, and this is where Yano gets his big roll-up. Nope, that's going to happen to Moxley. I'm telling you, Yano is going to pin John Moxley, and he's never going to be welcome in the state of Ohio again. Juice Robinson is going to take on Roman Reigns. Not even that. We're going to have to change the whole name of the state. (laughs) Juice Robinson takes on Roman Reigns. I mean, Hiroki Goto. um, This one I've kind of got as a pick Jeff Cobb takes on John Moxley. Looking forward as hell to that matchup. Going to be two uh, big angry dudes in that match. God, you really realize how big Moxley is when you see him against some of these Japanese guys and uh, how small some of these Japanese guys are when you see him next to John Moxley. Tomohiro Ishii is going to take on Switchblade Jay White. Looking forward to that. The Stone Pitbull beating the piss out of the Switchblade, even though I expect Jay White to get the win. And then we have Tetsuya Naito takes on Taishi in the main Four. event. Four. It's going to be Minoru Suzuki. It has to be. I mean, look at the way this is laying out with the way they're selling these things. It has to be. These names. Uh, You know, just real quick on on this block here, going back to Moxley, so much on the line. You know, we are so accustomed to chanting O-H-I-O. There's no way we're going to start chanting (laughs) Y-A-N-O. So, Moxley, you better damn win that type of thing. Uh, Or I'm going to have to drive out to Iowa. Slap Jargo in the face for even mentioning and you cursing us with this thing. Yeah, with Tai Chi, the way they're laying this thing out, they have to. It has to be Suzuki, right? There's no way that you're going to give me Naito and Taichi as a main event. I mean, come on. Really? I mean, just just to make the comparison out there, you know, we got Taichi in all these all these marquee matches early. I mean, just to make the comparison, we like to make it relatable for people. Where would you compare this to who's getting named in marquee matches and main events for WWE? Um, let's see. Right now. Would you get like as low as like they're promising you like uh, Dean Ambrose versus Heath Slater, and then the next week you got Jericho versus Heath Slater in a main event or something? Right. Well, I mean, I I, I feel like this Tetsuya Naito versus Taichi feels like this would be Seth Rollins versus Tyler Breeze. Like that. That's how this match feels to me. No, I, I just mean the way you're selling it. Is, I mean, Taichi's not screaming to me, Marquee main event freaking names here. Is Tyler Breeze? I mean, I love Tyler Breeze. He's he's my favorite professional wrestler, but I, I would rather see Tyler Breeze than the man's bitch. There is that. Let's talk about Fight for the Fallen. Uh, this morning we had Road 2 Episode 3 dropped, and we had BTE Episode 160 a couple of days ago, setting up the stories going into these shows. Um, Rick, one of the things that I have heard from my source backstage at All Elite Wrestling, yeah, I got one of those already. Um, the pre-show is going to be presented in a very, very different tone this time around. This is They're considering this more of a beta for All Out and the launch going into TNT. And then I saw the matches announced for the pre-show, and I kind of sit and scratch my head, especially with what they did on Being the Elite this week. 
Your first mashup is going to be Sunny Kiss taking on the librarian, Peter Avalon. This week, we saw Leva Bates thinks that this gimmick is getting over. The Young Bucks were ready to scratch it, and then they decided to leave it in because Leva Bates is so on board with this, and they're talking about, you know, progressing this thing out for years. The name of the show is Go Away Heat. Like, obviously, they know there is a problem with the librarians here, but doing a matchup against Sonny Kiss, who I like as a talent, like, I just don't think that doing Peter Avalon and Sonny Kiss as the opening match on the pre-show is what you want to set the tone for if you're going to give me a more serious pre-show. You know, there's a couple thoughts here. And this immediately going back to Fighter Fest and how they presented this group here and how disconnected you really felt from this pre-show, which, and I guess, you know, from the regular show, it still had that little tone there. But with keeping in mind, you know, this was a, it was a specialty show. Uh, these characters themselves, I feel that they should have really held them off until television and, and put those in. You know, it reminded me of like a Disco Inferno and Alex Wright. So, you know, after time on television, people are going to kind of find that group or find that special spot in their heart for them. Right now, the, this product is all over the place. I mean, we, it's it's proven. We know that there's such a little portion of this audience that really understands what AEW is about. You know, they're not following with social media and they're not, you know, staying up every little step of the way with, you know, with these absolute just brilliant, you know, videos that they're putting onto YouTube with, you know, either road twos or being the elite. They're not following those. So when they're just tuning in, they're feeling really disconnected. And it, in a lot of ways, it's because it doesn't remind them of WWE and as, as much as they complain, we're tired of the repetitiveness where we wish that they would change their direction. It's human nature. It's a consumer nature to just – you want relevancy. You, you want repetitiveness. If they would have held them off, looking at this match itself here, uh, go away heat, even the name of the program there. But this match here, this almost seems like an absolute rib or slap in the face to you know individuals like Jim Cornette. That, that we're going yeah. all over the place. Oh, these guys are just complete. You know, they are dumpster fires. They have no respect for this business. They never have. They have no idea what they're doing. This thing is going to flop. This seems like an absolute either rib or just straight out middle finger to individuals like Jim Cornette. I thought it was hilarious that when they were talking about go away heat, the first term they brought up was Baron Corbin heat. And then they went to X-Pac heat. Like they're, they're, they're so self-aware. It's very, very interesting. Yeah, and, and they, they know how to do this here. You know, hey, like them, love them, anywhere in between. You got to give them respects where they know how to work their marketplace here. They, they know their target audience. They know who was tuning into this thing. Now, the trick is going to be, you know, as I was mentioning, there's only a small portion tuning into those things. How are you going to make that transition, which makes me very happy that we are going to now begin to see – uh, more of the actual product being sculpted out. I thought it was interesting. They dropped Baron Corbin's name and that would not be the only haymaker they would throw at the WWE over the course of their uh, programming this week. Uh, the, only, the only other thing here, and I know people are getting chubbed up over this thing, you know, going back to the wars and all that thing right now, take care of your own, get your own product up and going on television before these cheap shots here. Well, I don't, the question, is it really a cheap shot? 
I mean, we, we've referred to X-Pac heat for years. Like, that's just been a uh, a wrestling term. I, I get that there, but going straight up there and Corbin, trying to compare that there, and I'm sure they probably talked to X-Pac about it. But know your audience, right? They know that the wrestling audience hates Baron Corbin at this point. Why, why run away from it? I, I don't know. You know, to me there, again, I always make the comparison. You've got Wendy's, Burger King, and those guys taking cheap shots at McDonald's. McDonald's doesn't play down. They worry about where they're going, and they continue to be number one. If you become over-obsessed in certain ways, and I know this is very simple. It's very subtle, but certain things start to add up and snowball. And when you become over-obsessed in that direction, it is going to take away from your own actual product. And eventually, people, your own people are going to start to see pettiness. Yeah. Uh, like I said, this was not the only WWE shot taken. Well, it's kind of like, you know, when you start adding all these up, it's like listening to a Democrat debate saying anything positive about their platforms to move forward. It's all just a bunch of cheap shots at Trump in the right. Yeah, sadly, that's what it's become. Jimmy Havoc, Darby Allen and Joey Janela are going to take on Sammy Gawarva, MJF and Sean Spears on the pre-show. This one starts getting a little bit more serious because the relationship between MJF and Sean Spears, not very good right now. I'm uh, looking forward to this matchup, Rick. I When I first saw another six-man tag and it was like, okay, it's on the undercard. Yeah, they got some good talent. Eh, I'm not really sure. I like Jimmy Havoc or Darby Allen being involved in a six-man tag. They kind of feel like they should be lone wolves kind of off doing their own thing. Same thing with Joey Janela. But, oh, MJF and Sean Spears on the same team. Now I'm intrigued. I like I like a lot of this here because they've already spent quite a bit of time here. And again, you know, let's let's get rid of this term pre-show. You know, this is a final selling point. I, it's what I always pitch. You know, let's do some business on these kickoffs or these buy-ins. You know, this is your this is your final hype on the home stretch here. I love throwing all these guys in. Uh, you know, point one here. They've already invested in in pretty much introducing these guys the best they can. So as undercard, they're going to be pretty recognizable to a good portion of this audience. You know, you know, like I said, love or hate them, you're going to recognize them. You've already got a little bit of the backstory. And I like that they're so unpredictable, that there's so many different uh, angles that we could get coming out of this thing. I mean, not alone can the teams exist. Can these guys even exist, all of them together in the ring? All six. It's just going to turn into a complete melee. Who's going to end up on whose side at the end of this thing? Who's just going to walk out? You know, what's going to happen here? And then I think again, you know, obviously who's going to be the first guy out here, MJF, on this on this buy-in, on this kickoff, he's going to get your crowd, this audience, absolutely hyped. Those people are tuning in to see if they want to continue watching here. He's your hook. And then you can further that by having uh, Joey Janela come out and interrupt you. Then a little interaction between those two get going. You talk about getting people excited. Uh, Sean Spears, you know, we're going to see, we're going to relive that moment that happened with him. Maybe he absolutely walks out, like he's leaving the place. Maybe he surf- resurfaces later. I think there's going to be a lot of intrigue around this match, and this is what you want on these final stretches. Sean Spears is going to be sitting down with good old JR, going to be a, the, the traditional sit-down interview style. Those are going to start airing on All Out, which I expect will probably start coming out next week, the road to All Out. Let's throw it over to the main card. It's going to kick off SoCal Uncensored versus the Lucha Bros. First time ever. 
Rick, I'm looking forward to this match. I love me some Scorpio Sky. I love me some Frankie Kazarian. You're going to pair them up against Pentagon and Phoenix? This is going to be a hell of a lot of fun. I, I got to say, it is quite refreshing, and I can't believe that I, I'm actually loving someone screaming first time ever in professional wrestling right now. So, Callan, since the Lucha Bros, man, this one's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this, it. This, you know, looking at this, looking at this card right here, man, that's that might steal everything. Absolutely. Brandy Rhodes is going to take on Allie. Those two have been uh, talking a little bit of smack back and forth. It seems as though Allie got herself a win over Brandy a while back, and Brandy coming to uh, reclaim that win. Did you get to see Road 2, Episode 2, where they, they sat down with Brandy and interviewed her all about her figure skating career and everything? If you want to talk about the whole dynamic of faces and heels and how there's not really one or the other, like there's a lot of people that view Brandy Rhodes as a heel. But after watching that road too, she absolutely just comes across as a normal person. Babyface was something to prove. Like it's going to be real interesting to see how they frame this face and heel dynamic inside the company. Well, I think the most important thing here with these two ladies is a lot of proving ground for each of them. Uh, especially you know with that last outing, Allie taking a little bit of heat there. You know the match kind of fell flat. You know not necessarily her fault, but hey, there was a, a rough finish that they had there between them. Uh, but again, you know, the whole point of here, Brandy is, you know, you know, and maybe, you know, where people perceive her as a heel is that she doesn't belong, that she's not a part of the fraternity or sorority, if you will. And she's got a lot to prove there. And people don't even, you know, hey, just even outside of what she does in the ring, how many people she doesn't deserve to be in a brand officer spot. Yeah. Do your homework. She absolutely does. And obviously she has a passion here and she's bought into everything with her family. They are fully committed, but that adds a lot of weight on her shoulders. There's going to be a lot here for each of these ladies to prove. Hangman Page is going to take on Kip Sabian. And you want to talk about a guy with an awful lot to prove. I feel like we're talking about Hangman Page. I was talking with my buddy Luke a little bit earlier today, and we were talking about the very first AEW championship match coming up at All Out. It's going to be Hangman Page versus Chris Jericho. Rick, when we, we look at that main event picture inside of AEW, we've always included Hangman Page inside of it. But when I look at what has happened inside of AEW right now, I have him at the lower end of that tier. And I'm not even sure that MJF hasn't elevated himself above Hangman Page on that tier. Like, I, I, I just feel like Hangman has kind of been a mess at this point, and we're just going off past reputation. Hangman really needs to step it up going into this match with Jericho. I think, you know, even going into this, and I believe we've talked about this, Hangman's put in a rough situation here. Where MJF, he's kind of freelancing. We don't expect him to do anything but mid-card right now, so we're loving everything. He, he's out there eating it up. So there's low expectations. Now with Hangman, you know, there was, where is he going to fall into this thing? Where is he going to line up? Is he going to kind of float between? Is he going to work that mid-card for a while and then in a, maybe a year or so emerge as that top face? He's been kind of thrust into that situation here. And, you know, ever since that's happened, I and mean, there's a lot of expectations on him and there hasn't been much production. You know, not a whole lot of opportunity, but even what's been there has not stood out. I got a feeling here. I, I don't know if we're going to see so much from here from him in this match, uh, maybe post-match, because there is a name missing from this show, obviously, that's going to stand out. That Hangman Page is going to need everything from to help elevate him to that next level. And that's going to be you know, the interaction and the actual program once we get going here with Chris Jericho. This is what happens when Pac pulled out of that show. 
I mean, if Hangman's first appearance would have been against Pac, we might be feeling very, very different about Hangman right now rather than winning the over-the-budget battle royal. And then he goes out and it seems like he barely wins a a crazy fatal four-way that didn't have a whole lot of build to it. He's been doing more of the full-gear comedy stuff on Being the Elite than he's been presented as a serious character on Road 2. Like, I, I just, I feel like we need to change the tone of Hangman Page going into this match with Jericho. Well, and I think, you know, a lot of it was it, it everything became very predictable when he lost the, the Pac match. Mm-hmm. You know, going into that, it was, a you know, a coin flip. You know, who's going to actually emerge from this thing and have that opportunity? You know, once that match was scrapped, it was almost for conclusion. He's going to enter this buy-in battle royal, and then he's going to win this fatal four-way, which, you know, afterwards, we're barely talking about him at all. It's all about MJF, what he delivered there. So it, it, he's kind of fallen off, and as you said, you know, it's it's he's kind of you know, taken even a side role here that we're seeing on the social media specials. So I'm expecting here. I'm not counting them out in any way. I think they're going to really start gearing up here and focusing in on. And again, this is where they're going to need Jericho to really bring out and shine, you know, to his fullest to help elevate that talent. And part of that is a result of the Kenny Omega factor. We all know that Kenny Omega is going to be. One of, if not the face of all elite wrestling, it's just a matter of time, but they didn't want to do Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho for the first ever AEW championship match, because we already saw that match in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So we've kind of got Kenny just doing his thing. He's in this feud with John Moxley here. We got a singles match, Kenny Omega versus Shima, like whatever we can do to keep Kenny Omega out of that main event picture. And in the meantime, I don't feel like they're establishing Kenny Omega as the star that he truly is either. I I feel like we're just kind of missing the mark with both hangman and Omega simply because we didn't want to do Omega versus Jericho for the first AEW championship. Well, I almost thought, you know, and this might have been where contracts came into place and how they were deciding things. I think they kind of missed the mark by not going with Moxley versus Omega for that first championship. Yeah, that that could be a... You know, and just yeah. and maybe that's because now we're seeing that hype because we are forgetting. We're acting like we're getting shows bi-weekly, even monthly, you know, whatever. I mean, these things are gapped out right now. Right. But, I mean, even looking forward to All Out, what feels like the bigger match? Omega versus Moxley or Hangman versus Jericho? Hangman versus Jericho strictly because the title is on the line. But if the title was on the line and Omega versus Moxley, it, it, it doesn't scream the biggest match on that show to me. You know, no. it screams middle of that pack right there. And especially when I'm looking at potential, if I look if if I've got Moxley, Omega, Jericho, those are three names I would trust going into television. People knowing as my champion, Hangman Page it's not going to happen, man. If they go with Hangman as the first AEW champion, it's it's a mistake. Absolutely, uh, you know, an absolute mistake. And, and as we said, you know, where are you going to establish him? I know, I you know, online he's going to have a great program, a great build for those fans here. But for that general audience, they're going to tune in. You know, you start advertising just on TNT. You know, a name, obviously, Go obviously, Jericho. advertising on TNT, Jericho or Moxley. Yep. Jericho mainly because the name in the face. Moxley might confuse some people because of the name change, but they're going to pick up on his face there. Even though, even out of those three, the top three there, Omega's the the you know the least of those three. 
Yeah. Because if you're talking to a general audience, they're not going to recognize him there. And how they're presenting Kenny Omega thus far. Like they've, they've kind of just, it's like, they're so self-aware about the executive vice president thing. And we don't want to push Cody. We don't necessarily want to push the young bucks to a championship main event program. We don't want to put Kenny in that position, but it's like, Kenny should be in that position. Of, of, of everybody there, Kenny's the one that should be. In yeah, I almost position. wonder, you know, you got a question here too. Even that, even that decision, you know, obviously, obviously it's, you know, a company run by the boys. We have tremendous backing and states from the Khan family. They're going to help us come in here, but our management's the boys. You know, it's, it's wrestlers running a wrestling promotion. It, it, you wonder how much maybe that backfires a little bit when it comes to the long run. Okay. Now they've just done this to push themselves. I mean, that's, right. it, it's, it's not like that's anything new. They're, but they're worried about being, you know, falling under that perception of pushing themselves. I mean, obviously the McMahons do it. Like, the, uh, but it's like they're so self-aware that it's almost a detriment when it comes to Kenny well, Omega. Hey, I understand that there, but you know, even going back, Dusty Rhodes, he was always up main eventing when he was the book when he was running, you know, territories. Uh, the Funks, the same thing. The Von Erichs, Flair, the Lawler, yeah, Jarrett's. I mean, well, and it's and it's not so much that's a bad thing. I mean, you are the ones investing in this. You are the ones that are going to be there for the long haul. You're not going to turn your back and walk away. It's the same in any business. You know, is you know, even us here, as much as we invest in our products here, we don't want to hand those things over because we know that we're going to come through with the thing here because we got more invested. It's in private business. No matter where you're at, the owner is going to be your workhorse and give it to their even their family members because they know they're invested. They're not going to bail on this thing for the most part. With all that said, let's talk about the main event. It's going to be the Rhodes Brothers, Cody and Dustin versus the Jackson Brothers. So we've got three of the four EVPs in the main event. Good thing they're not pushing themselves. Oh, shit. Um, this thing is interesting, man, because the Rhodes, they came out, and we all know how good the Young Bucks are. I don't think anybody, if you're making your list of the best tag teams in the world, even those that dislike the Young Bucks have to acknowledge that the Young Bucks are one of the two to three best tag teams in the world. Well, the Rhodes brothers come out and they basically say, hey, don't count us out in this thing. In case anybody's forgotten, we're the tag team that was kicking the Usos ass for about two years. Everybody knows the Usos are one of those two to three best tag teams in the world as well. I, I like the Rhodes putting over the Usos and acknowledging how damn good the Usos actually are. They're, like, they didn't mean that in any way as a slight towards the Usos. They're just saying, hey, we're pretty goddamn good too, and this is going to be one hell of a tag team match. No, I, I absolutely love that approach. As we were talking about taking those cheap shots, not really a need for those. This is how you play it right. You know, this is where you build up others to build yourself up. And I and even not even you know mentioning the Usos, who yes, they are, you know, a few of you know the best tag teams in the world. But it brings back the reminder that at one point, you know, when you look at the professional wrestling world, you look at the landscape, justifiable or not, WWE is the top of the mountain. And they were there. They've held gold there. You know, they they were rocking and rolling there. And they and they actually did it. They did it under embarrassing gimmicks. You know, at that time, you got know, it and, over. Yeah, they got it over. They were doing it. And if they could do that, then think what they can do when they're when there's no handcuffs, when they're untethered, 
when they're just brothers standing side by side, ready to go to war and, and prove themselves against, you know, they're considering friends. But when that bell rings, it's a competition and they want to sit there and they want to prove themselves to me. I think this is going to be a much different match than a lot of people in, in the West see from the Young Bucks. I think you're going to see it in something that's very similar to how they work in Japan. Uh, I think you see a lot more seriousness out of them. Maybe not so much high spots just because they don't have it across the ring, but the storytelling and the character work here, I feel, is going to be absolutely tremendous. Uh, put yourself in their shoes when you're riding with your brother, any way around, family members, hey, just your best friends, you know, those guys you ride or die with. That's going to bring out some tremendous emotion here. This right here, this right here could be the match of the entire weekend of all of these things that we're running through. Just because of simply the basics and in, in how it's going to make you feel as a professional wrestling fan. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this matchup. Very, very much so. Uh, running against AEW, literally at the same time, is Evolve 131, also known as the Evolve 10th Anniversary Show. This thing is going to air live on the WWE Network. And this is... This is really the beginning of the tiered system. They're they're starting to introduce independent content onto the streaming service now. There's a lot of talent that has come through Evolve. There's a lot of talent that has been lent to Evolve for this show, including an NXT championship match. Now, Rick, I know that we have a few casual fans out there that are probably wondering, what in the hell is an Evolve? Well, what happened was when ECW folded, Gabe Sapolsky went and he founded ROH. And then when he left ROH, he went on and he, with Dragon Gate USA and blah, blah, blah. He ended up starting another company called Evolve. And at this point, 131 shows in. Rick, where does Evolve fall into the pro wrestling landscape? It, it feels like Evolve is almost NXT for NXT. You, you, the path to NXT, at least in recent years, since Gabe Sapolsky started working backstage at NXT, absolutely seems to go through Evolve. Well, let's look at what this means here just for this evening. You know, running head to head against AEW, as I mentioned you know, with, you know, those cheap shots, you know, I always use the, the fast food comparisons. You see the Burger Kings and the Wendy's taking shots at, at McDonald's. Uh, this is kind of how a McDonald's takes a shot at them. This is like McDonald's opening up a store across from Burger King and then redirecting traffic. So that it flows into their parking lot much easier. Let's not kid ourselves. You know, this is guy, you know, this is WWE. This is one of those things. Okay. These guys have taken some shots at us that they want to pretend that they want to play hardball, but we're not going to let them think in, in their imaginations that they're anything close to the red and blue. Hell, they're not even yellow. They're not even up to the gold standard of our brands. We're going to go down to our outside feeder system to evolve we're going to give them everything that we can we're going to give them and i'm i'm very interested to see how this production is with evolve i've seen quite a few evolve events they always come off so well i, I love i love how they're shot here but i'm i'm wondering you know what what's what's h gonna lend to this thing you know what is at the disposal hey let's and let's not forget here you know evolve works very closely with inside NXT in every which way. They've already done cross promotions here. We, we've got owners, writers, everything back and forth here. And now we've got some top talent being lended back and forth. And they're going to air this thing on the network, man. This is a, a straight shot at them. Uh, but Evolve itself, like I said, I, I've seen plenty of these shows. I love the presentation. They always got some tremendous talent. They're, they're very fun programs to watch up. They offer a variety of styles and all that. 
again, it, uh, we've got a, da- a crowded dance floor. How does Evolve shake this up, Jargo? Let me throw that back at you. I don't know. I don't know where Evolve even fits into the professional wrestling landscape at this point. Like, I haven't watched Evolve for so long. I, I bet, I mean, I've got to be probably 50 issues behind on Evolve. I just, I stopped watching it when Evolve basically became NXT, NXT. You know, because I just I didn't see any reason. And they had some great talent there. I mean, Darby Allen was in Evolve for for quite a while before he went over to AEW. When you look at the NXT roster, just about all of it at this point has went through Evolve or is a former professional sports athlete that they have brought in strictly to the NXT system. There's a lot of names on here. A lot of people are going to recognize. There's some names people don't recognize. Like I'm, I'm excited to watch this show strictly to see talent that I haven't seen before because it's been so long since I've watched Evolve. I can't even tell you. I think the last time I watched Evolve, Johnny Gargano was champion. Well, you know, I wonder, and we always make those comparisons. Evolve essentially is what it's operating with WWE is is much like what you saw in the UK, especially before. He was working with people down here with them, with this seemingly being a shot at NXT or maybe just coincidentally, these things just happen to fall on the same day or whatever, but we've got some great NXT talent. So they are, they're willing to, to bet, you know, those audiences versus those audience. I'm a bit surprised that they didn't send down a red or blue talent to work this show. To really kind of you know drum up some of that mainstream audience with it, like a Kevin for general Owens. somebody uh, yeah. somebody that's Could like you imagine that yeah that's a darling there from that era you know right yeah I mean hell I mean could you imagine putting like a Kevin Owens versus AJ Styles on this show right you know I mean, yeah I mean they're, no I mean you're not going to get any way in swaying the numbers here you're going to more infuriate your crowd if you send like hey Cena can you make a stop down here that's not going to do anything I but I'd if like- you're, I like your NXT UK comparison because when when you, I think of Evolve now, I absolutely think of them in that same breath as ICW, as Progress, the the companies that are basically feeding NXT UK now. Correct, and that's what we've got here on a North American version. Yeah, I would like to see both of those uh, programs added to the network just so I can go back and watch all the old Progress episodes because. Man, some of them early progress shows were really, really well, good. Well, and you know, outside, you know, it's fun to talk about the wars and all this. You know, maybe this is more of a hey, we got a hot wrestling weekend. People are gonna be buzzing, just not watching first runs and all. Let's see what kind of let's see what kind of hits we do get first run, but let's see what feedback we get, what replays we get like the next day, following through our Monday and Tuesday going into our Wednesday block programming. How many people are gonna take notice of this? You know, just outside of that, this is a great uh, a test template to see what kind of interest there is for these types of promotions. I just hope it feels like an evolved show. Like I don't want them to go too over the top with NXT production. I want it to feel like an evolved show. And if you've ever seen an evolved show, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, I don't know how to explain it to you. It's, it's very much like that ROH crowd, but you know, instead of like at the dive bar, you're at like a martini bar up the street. Like, that's how I feel about Evolve. It, it, you get more of a, yeah, it's a, I guess how to put it, it's like an upscale, rugged kind of approach to it. Right. 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, let's kind of run through the card here. Kurt Stallion is going to take on Sean Maluda, who is uh, one of the um, Uso brethren family Anawai dynasty. Stephen Wolf and Harlem Bravado. Baba Tunde takes on Colby Carino. Yeah, looking forward to that one. Steve Carino's kid versus Baba Tunde. Have you seen Baba Tunde yet, Rick? Yeah, I have. I, I I I know his work here, but it really stands out to me with uh, with Kobe. A lot of fans might recognize him from being a little bit of trouble, so it's just good to see him back on the right track and you know back being able to perform and still have opportunity. Seems like he's uh, absolutely gotten his life together, which is a good thing to hear. Anthony Henry is going to take on Arturo Rouse, Josh Briggs versus Anthony Green, and then we start getting into some of the more feature matches here. Brandy Lauren takes on Shotzi Blackheart. Rick, this was actually put up to a fan vote these two got an 89 percent fan vote to be added on to this show so we are going to have women involved at the evolve 10th anniversary evolve tag team championships going to be on the line eddie kingston and joe gacy the champions take on ar fox and leon ruff ar fox is the name to watch there if you haven't had a chance to check him I, out i could say eddie eddie kingston himself gacy both and uh incredible athletes i think if you got unique taste, this thing is going to be something for you. Yeah. Winner takes all. It's going to be the WWN champion, J.D. Drake, taking on Evolve champion, Austin Theory. Huckleberry, have you had a chance to check out either one of these two? Not a whole lot on Drake. Uh, I'm aware of him, but yeah, I've seen quite a bit of Theory. I really like Austin Theory. I think he's got a good look. The only thing is he's really small. Like He fits into that NXT group, but I'm not sure beyond I, that. I I was kind of, you know, wondering here, is this maybe with the platform that we're on here and then we are going to talk about we've got some NXT kind of getting involved with Evolve. Could this be his uh, swan song? It very well could be. Uh, Austin Theory, absolutely the top of that list for the next ones up for that next NXT class. Then we get in some feature talent, man, and this one is going to be hot, especially if this is a true Evolve crowd. We're going to have a Catchpoint reunion. Going back for a long way in Evolve, there was a faction called Catchpoint, and this is going to be two of the feature members. It's going to be Matt Riddle taking on Drew Gulak in a Catchpoint Rules match. This is going to be straight catch wrestling, and this thing will be absolutely fantastic and a little bit different change of pace. Some other guys that were in Catchpoint that you may have heard of, TJ Perkins, Hot Sauce Tracy Williams, now in Ring of Honor, and Stokely Hathaway, who is uh, working in NXT under some different name. I forget what in the hell it is. Looking forward to this one. This is going to be something different, and I'm interested to see how the audience is receptive to it. I think, you know, if this is a true evolved audience, you know, if we got some history here, I think it's going to be it's going to be hot live. I just hope that they can kind of transition that and translate what this thing is actually, you know, going, you know, towards this new audience. that's going to be checking this out on the network uh, to make, you know, you talked about here, Tracy Hot South Williams and Ring of Honor to make a little bit of comparison. You know, we just saw a pure wrestling match there, which had some very difficult, 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 different rules, uh, which you know, Rick Abani and his team at times maybe didn't, you know, parlay that message, you know, what was actually happening there as properly as they should or could have. So hopefully we see that that understanding that they bridged that gap. Drew Gulak working double duty this weekend. Poor guy. 
Let's talk about the NXT Championship. The NXT Championship on the line at Evolve 131, 10th anniversary. Akira Tozawa from 205 Live is going to take on Adam Cole, baby. Your NXT Champion. Rick, this seems like a very odd matchup on paper. Both of these guys with a lot of history inside of Evolve. I'm looking forward to this matchup, but, I mean, come on. Like, Akira Tozawa's not going to win the NXT Championship. No, I don't think I don't think you need that going in here. I mean, there is that history. But I think it's going to be crazy, man. This thing's going to be everywhere. I'm looking for some different people to get involved. This thing, if you just kind of turn the brain off to it, don't overthink this thing. It could be a lot of fun. Two other guys with a lot of history inside of Evolve. Kyle O'Reilly and Poppy Fish. Like, that's, what I, that's, what, that's what I was kind of going with. There, there's you know? no way they're not going to be at this show. And, and I almost wonder as well, you know, you talk about a guy that's bridged, you know, these two promotions looking for something from Chris Hero on this card. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah. All right, Huckleberry. So let's wrap it up. Extreme rules. We got 10 matches to go. 31 in the can. 10 more to go. I'm wearing out. After HTM Sports, we did a long HTM Sports this week too. Okay, we had some good content. We're going, we're going around the world everywhere. You know, we were talking World Cup, we were talking NBA, MLB, All Star Games, forty one professional wrestling matches. We got ten to go, and, and we've landed in Philadelphia, in Philly of all places, home of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. That negative, that negative seventy two. FQI, dump of a town, only <laughs> worth it for their sandwiches. Nothing's ever good come out of it. Fill a stinking Delphia. Rocky. Just saying. Rocky Four, greatest Christmas movie ever made. Let's talk about the Raw Tag Team Championships. So, yeah. That's going to kick things off. The Revival defending against the Usos. Rick, I didn't even realize this was still a thing. I didn't realize this feud was actually still a thing. I, I thought you meant the Raw Tag Team Championships. Well, that too. Uh, yeah, I guess we're just revisiting this year. We're going to start filling out this card. Uh, obviously, there wasn't enough wrestling this week, so we're going to throw more matches out there for everyone. Like, they're not going to be already just, you know, tanked by the time we get to Sunday. Not really don't know no what to expect here. I mean, just do you go with the Usos, give them another reign, try to move on from this, or are we going to keep riding the revival? I feel like this is Shinsuke Nakamura versus Finn Balor, which we saw on SmackDown this past week. This should be a big match. The Revival defending the Tag Team Championships against the Usos. I, th this is two of the best tag teams in the world. This well, is I a mean, big match. Well, they could be hypothetically, but when you take you know what's going on here, only the Usos are up there. It's just, uh, yeah, this would have been a, a tremendous match. Uh, uh, what in 2017? But now, after all these years and months of booking here and with Uzi the revival, hot. I, I don't even, I don't know if I should even care about which way this thing goes. I'm going with Gallows and Anderson come out and just. Bash in all four of these guys. They just signed new deals or reunited with AJ Styles. Like, that would be Bullet Club, right? Bullet Club would come walking out here and just destroy all four of these guys. Let's go with that. That's what I'm going with for the finish. Gallows and the Anderson overstrike. Last man standing. Braun Strowman's going to take on Bobby Lashley. Um, 
I this just baffles me. Like, why are we doing this match? Like, well, why, I'm, I'm, why why aren't we just not keeping Braun Strowman off of TV for like six weeks? No, that, that's my issue with this thing. I'm okay with this thing, and obviously we need to see what you know what the future holds, what plans they have in store here. Uh, but you know, to me, when you left that that, that great impression. That opening segment at Raw, you got the pyros going off. You, you've got these absolute monsters destroying the set. Had the the, the physicalness of it. I mean, it, it was something that that's that brought interest back to the product. People on the edge of their seat. I mean, to me, this should be going forward into like SummerSlam. You know, let it, let that thing linger within us. This is too quick. I mean, we need to have a, enough chance to consume what we've seen here. We need to we need to believe that these guys were absolutely devastated by what we saw. You've essentially now have written that off as nothing. Like, okay, that happened there. Forget about it now. It was completely useless. That's what we're getting out of this. And I got a I got a sick feeling that they're that they saw the success that was happening there. And I got to believe this falls on Vince McMahon because it's you know it's. Too much, too soon. Six months of booking in six minutes. Yep. Oh, that that was amazing. That was good shit, pal. We got to do it again. We got to do it again. We're obviously let's sit back and wait on this thing, dude. Let's let this thing fester within within the fans. We'll we'll keep showing. We'll keep reminding people of this. We'll we'll go and show you injury updates that Braun Strowman actually could not compete here for over a month because of how devastating this was. We'll go to the hospital, show him at home, get people invested. But nah, let's just roll it right back out here right away could have rehabilitated both of these guys. You could have rehabilitated Bobby Lashley. He could have got a bunch of heat coming out every week, talking about how he took out Braun Strowman. He took him out. How strong am I? I took out the monster. I took out Braun Strowman. I'm the monster. And then the monster comes back. You build this thing all the way, like you said, until SummerSlam. That's a marquee matchup. But nope, going through the board takes you out for a week. That's it. Yeah. No big yeah, and again, and again, you know, things are, you know, within, within the long term. I mean, it's great. I mean, you, you can go have a tremendous meal out at a fancy restaurant or anything like that. You know, great a surf and turf, something one of your favorites, you know, have a great, a great lobster tail, nice cut of steak and all that. You're going to remember that. You're going to love that place. But if you go back, like if you go there, if you and Carly go there on Monday, and you guys, Jargo, you go back on Wednesdays, you're not going to have the same effect with it. You're not going to care about it. So by the weekend, you're not even talking to your friends about it because you had it twice that week, and it's kind of worn thin on you. Yep. And that's kind of how I feel about this entire card. Like, just looking at this card for what it is, this looks like it should be a really good card in a main event. On paper. Yeah. But it just, it, everything feels so damn hot shot. Um, United States Championship on the line. AJ Styles going to take on Ricochet. Like, three, third time in three weeks for the third time in three weeks. But again, this feels like it should be a big match. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, these are things when you, this goes back to the things that we've talked about. If you didn't do, if you didn't like watch any of the weekly programming and you just tuned into the kickoff show and the vignettes and the promo packages, they're great cards. That's why I'm looking forward to the show because all I did was watch that one episode of Monday night raw over my birthday weekend and otherwise, I haven't watched a Raw or SmackDown since but the last pay per view. But you're still knowing these results. If you were just completely out of touch and watched the two hours of, of the kickoff show, where they're going to give you this is why you should care. Like, oh man, this should be a good one here. But again, right here with with AJ Styles and Ricochet, this is three times in what three weeks of program that we're going to see this thing. And this next match should be a huge match. We're finally going to get to see Alistair Black wrestle. 
after weeks and weeks of vignettes and they reveal who is going to be taking on Alistair Black and all they had to do was introduce him as Antonio Cesaro. If they would have introduced him as Antonio Cesaro, I think it would have went a long way into rehabilitating Cesaro. This looks like old school Cesaro. This is the Cesaro that we saw in Ring of Honor, that we saw in NXT, that we started to see on the WWE main roster. And then they started putting him in tag teams and then his tag team partners would get hurt and they'd push him as a single for about three weeks and then they'd put him with Sheamus and then we split him up and put him back together and it, it was just, this feels like it could be a solid reboot for Cesaro. Rick, do you have faith in them to get this thing right? Uh, well, absolutely from the get-go here. So now Cesaro has been our uh, ding and ditch, our door dash culprit. <laughs> And, and, you know, obviously you're saying, you know, this could be a big thing. I mean, this who can emerge here? Who can go moving forward? But where's my intrigue here between this build? And you got to believe in creative. This is just the Dutch versus the Swift. Like, I'm terrified this is just going to end up with the two of them as a tag team. Is there any difference between the Dutch and the Swift? They're not the same thing. I don't know. One of them has... One of them has wooden shoes and one of them has some delicious pudding. (laughs) I'm looking forward to the match. If they actually let these guys go, this could be a really, really good match. Let's talk about the SmackDown Tag Team Championship. Are they all the same as the Netherlands? That's not all the same thing. I don't know. I'm awful with Europe. Let's talk about the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. The Angry Vegans take on the New Day, and they're both going to take on Heavy Machinery. Again, on paper, Rick, I, I'm not a fan of tag team triple threat matches, but at least this thing kind of makes sense, and it could be a good match. I just don't think that it will be. Well, why do we need a triple threat here? Why don't you save one of these teams and give me two matches? Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's it's going to be a car crash. Whenever you have a tag team triple threat, that's what happens. It basically becomes tornado-style rules. The referee loses all control. You end up with all six guys flying left and right. At the end of it, I think it's just going to be the Angry Vegans retain the titles and go home happy. But but the highlight for for Vince is the good shit is going to be Otis. Otis. Yep. And that'll be it. That's why they're there. Yeah, pretty much. WWE Cruiserweight Championship on the line. Match number two for Drew Gulak this weekend as he defends his Cruiserweight Championship against Tony Nese. Of course, Nese lost the championship in a triple threat match, and this is his opportunity to regain it. Don't think it's going to happen, though. I'm going with Drew Gulak over Strong. Uh, Going with Gulak over Strong, and more so I'm going with his match on Saturday over Strong on this one. Which match do you think will be better? Hint. Evolve is the correct answer. Gonna go with that one. SmackDown Women's Championship. Bailey is going to defend the SmackDown Women's Championship against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. It's a handicap match for a singles title. It makes absolutely no sense to me. All I can assume is this is where Sasha Banks comes back, right? Uh, I, I am so dis- disconnected from this program right now, uh, mainly because most of what's happening in this program is from the SmackDown Women's Championship, but it's been unfolding on Raw. Yep. 
so it just it just just one of those little nitpicky things. But you well, know what? West and Cross both belong to Raw. I'm just kind of hoping that if, if Bliss or not Bliss, but if Banks does come back, then maybe she just joins Bliss and Cross. Exactly. That's what I'm going to go with here. Yeah, because Nikki Cross brought up that Bailey has no friends. So Sasha Banks comes back and it's a swerve. And we end up putting together some kind of a women's faction because that absolutely seems like something Paul Heyman would do. Uh, or I could see, uh, yeah, like a women's triple threat or something like that. Yeah. Uh, or I could see, you know, Bliss and Banks at this point, you know, the mean girl little faction actually turn on Nikki where she eventually ends up with Bailey. He's going to. All right. Bailey was the good going all along. You know, yeah. she is the one that's going to be there for you. But the only problem just, there is Banks and Bliss supposedly hate each other. That could make it fun, though. Yep. Hey, that's a night. Hey, that's a dynamic that you like. That you're going to keep your sparks on the edge. People are reading the sheets. They got these two working together. They hate each other. You talk about, you know, the sheets running wild. You know, you know, just ammunition for us on podcasts and all that. That's what you want. You know, you, you walk that fine line. The dead dogs are going to take on the best psychopaths in the world: Roman Reigns and the Undertaker versus Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre. Uh, Rick, the only thing of any interest to me in this matchup is Kevin Owens. Are we expecting a Kevin Owens appearance here? Because now it seems as though that's where this whole Shane McMahon storyline is shifting to. We're going to reinvent Stone Cold versus McMahon. We're going to reinvent Kevin Steen versus Jim Cornette. It's going to be a blend of the two, and it's going to be Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon. Uh, at this point, I, I'd hold off on that. I, I don't want to see that happening here. I know you want to usually make a big move at a pay per view. I, I just, you know, I'm not really sure how how many eyes are going to be on this thing. Uh, I, I keep it about what it is, and that is a moment for Roman Reigns and the Undertaker. Uh, I, I still come up, possibly come up with some kind of way here. Shane McMahon comes out looking a little better, or or maybe even not so. Where. You know, he's just furious about what has happened losing to both Roman Reigns and The Undertaker that now everyone's going to, to pay for it. You know, Shane is taking control of everything. He's going to seize both brands. Everyone is going to pay for this. And that's where you transition into uh, Stone Cold Owens. What did you make of Stone Cold Kevin Owens and his supposed pipe bomb this week on SmackDown Live? This, this is the Kevin Owens baby face turn that I've been screaming about for two years. This is the Kevin Owens character I was talking about. It's one of those situations where if you if you drug me along for too long, you know how long can can that cock tease go on before you just have given up hope and you're looking elsewhere? Has have they missed? If they missed it, is well, the picture already passed them by? If they would have done this when they brought him back the first time, I mean, we we brought Kevin Owens back as a babyface, talking about his kids and the freaking bowling alley and everything. And then we turn him heel and then we turn him back babyface, and then we turn him heel and then we turn him back like big show turns here. If they just would have went with this character out of the gate, it would have worked. But now I just I don't think anybody trusts Kevin Owens, especially after the New Day debacle. You know who's it's it's really taking a toll on. It's just not Kevin Owens, but Sami Zayn as well. And you had an opportunity yeah. where you could have set up, not saying it would have been as intense or on that level, because I absolutely don't think anything could touch it. But especially in this modern era, it could have been 
it could have been close to it. You, you could have went with Kevin is that anti-authority baby. People are going to love that are relatable to don't have to be just like Stone Cold. But, you know, hey, he was out bowling like that. That's relatable guys do. You're, you're Joe. You know what? A bowling one night, I'm kicking my boss's ass the next day. That's what people dream about. You know, that, that's like the blue collar American life there. And they were getting it from this Canadian, you know, just blue collar anywhere around the world then. But you, you even could have had Zamy almost kind of, you know, warp into that Pillman style. You know, old best friend kind of deal where now it's Sammy who's absolutely crazy and, and obsessed over this thing that is the loose cannon. But all of this using using Kevin out of necessity has greatly altered where these two are positioned at right now because it's one of those things like I'm not forgetting what you just did. I'm not going to wipe the slate clean just because you need it, you know, because it's convenient for you moving into this program. WWE Championship on the line. Kofi Kingston takes on Samoa Joe. Huckleberry, is this just another big match for Samoa Joe to lose? Uh, absolutely. I don't think any of us are going to be shocked here. I'm surprised they didn't slap the gimmick on this thing as we had talked about last week to try to drum up a little bit of interest. This doesn't scream anything more to me than a weekly main event. Uh, I would say a SmackDown main event, but since it's a SmackDown title, we'd probably have that as on Monday night's main event. But if they it doesn't scream anything other than that to me. And this is not a knock against Samoa Joe. He's actually badass. He sells his character perfectly. This goes down to creative. And on his part, not just 50-50 booking, but less than 50-50 booking when we're talking about marquee matches. Yeah. Sad. All of those matches sound good to me. And then we have... Let's talk about one that does not sound good to, I don't think, anybody. And then we have your main event. Rick, this is the best match title I could come up with. For uh, this matchup, it is the last chance winner take all mixed tag team extreme rules match for both the WWE Championship of the Universe and the WWE Women's Championship of Raw. As we have your defending champions, Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch taking on Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans. Please, God, help us all. You, you forgot first time ever. Oh, yeah, for the first time ever. And hopefully the last time ever. A- absolutely nothing of interest here. Uh, Celeste, just something popped into my mind, though, as I see here in the notes, the reminder of the beast in the thing. None of us have ever seen this contract, and every now and then we, we get a little uh, loophole uh, to win with both of these titles on the line. Could Brock Lesnar just pin anyone in this match, including Becky Lynch or Lacey Evans, to win <laughs> the Universal Championship? Well, you know, it's and, and, then, and then if so, by default, does Mr. Heyman or even Sable become the women's champion? Does this match end with Becky Lynch tapping out Baron Fuckface? I think I, that's what we're getting. I mean, that's that's the only finish that I see here that has any kind of a payoff to it whatsoever. We saw Paul Hold Heyman. On. Here's even better. Uh, Seth hits the curb stomp. On Lacey? And, no, hits the curb stomp on Baron Corbin. Hooks the leg. One, two. Becky pulls him off and then hits him herself. So now that we have completely castrated, emasculated Aaron Corbin, and furthermore, if it's possible, the man's man, Seth Rollins. 
How awful is that T-shirt? How awful? I, I, I don't, Who thought that was a good idea? Here's the thing, though. Who thought of it? Who got it approved? Is Seth Waring's wrong, wearing it? And here's the worst. How many are they selling? I, can't I absolutely, I absolutely guarantee this. I absolutely guarantee this. So if anybody wants to test me on it, I, you know, I travel throughout the state of Ohio. If I see anyone, if I see anyone wearing this T-shirt, I am going to walk up without question and slap you in the face. And, and, and not only not only take away your wrestling card, I'm going to demand that you just immediate, immediately admit, not even admit, you're going to show me, you're going to go over to the restroom, you happen to be a gentleman wearing this thing, go over to the restroom and you're going to use the ladies' restroom in front of that entire crowd. But you are the absolute bottom, bottom feeder of professional wrestling in the entire world. I think they sold one of these t-shirts. You know who bought it? Megan Rapone. Professor. Megan Rapone. Um, so do we get Brock Lesnar? You think Brock Lesnar shows up in Philly? Hey, that's that's my question there, man. You know, what is the what's the contract for you? Can he pin anyone in this match and claim that title? And if he does, what happens to the women's championship? Does he claim both? Does Paul Heyman get the women's championship? Does Sable come back? Does we get Sable on Monday as the women's champion? Hey, I guarantee. Hey, I guarantee you see a ratings, a ratings rager, a ratings spike if you ever you had Brock Lesnar with the Universal and he was going to give his wife the Raw Women's Championship on Monday. Oh yeah, absolutely. Sable would pop a rating and some other things. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit our friends over at thegorillaposition.com as they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. Visit our friends over at lastwordonprowrestling.com where you can get all of your latest and greatest pro wrestling news. Find Huckleberry and I this Monday, hackerhameen.podbean.com, where we're going to review all this shit. My God, it's going to be the six-hour episode of The Locker Room on Monday. Until then, you can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. Although I won't be online, I'm going to be too busy watching wrestling this weekend. Huckleberry, how did the people find you? You know what? Extreme Rules is in the, the city of loserly love. So I'm actually expecting a straight sea of the man's man t-shirts. Because that's what they're going to be rocking up there in Philadelphia. But with, with everything going on here across this weekend in professional wrestling, keep up with Brick Vickery across all social media platforms at The Real RBV. And of course, with everything going on, I'm sure we're going to have so many uh, interactive threads, great conversation pieces, live discussions going over on Facebook and Hami Media Discussion Group. We'd like to remind everybody involving Extreme Rules to head on over there right now, Facebook, the Hami Media Discussion Group, and fill out your, uh, your Pick'em Challenge. You can find a link to the Hami Media Discussion Group at Hitting the Marks. That's it for this week's show. We'll talk to you Monday inside the locker room. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Enable me. Don't give up. You bad guy! Yo
the bad guy.